Welcome to the Hope Community Church Podcast. We're so grateful that you're here with us today. We pray that these messages encourage you, inspire you, and give you hope. Whether you are in your car, at your house, or your job, we hope you enjoy these messages. So we are on our fourth week of our spring cleaning series. Man, it's been good. Have you guys enjoyed it so far? It has been powerful. I have really, really enjoyed it myself. Well, hey, I'm going to have you guys stand up with me. We're going to jump right in. I have so much that, that God's put on my heart to share with you this morning. I'd like for you to stand with me and open your Bibles up to Joshua chapter 6. And I'm going to have my notes in front of me in just a minute so that I can read that with you guys. <laughs> it's okay. It's all right. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. So that gave you time, guys time to turn to it, right? So you guys are ready. Joshua chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 1, and we're going to read through verse 15. Now the gates of Jericho were tightly shut because the people were afraid of the Israelites. No one was allowed to go out or in. But the Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho, its king, and all its strong warriors. You and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. On the seventh day, you are to march around the town seven times with the priests blowing the horns. When you hear the priests give one long blast on the ram's horns, have all of the people shout as loud as they can, then the walls of the town will collapse and the people can charge straight into the town. So Joshua called together the priests and said, Take up the ark of the Lord's covenant and assign seven priests to walk in front of it, each carrying a ram's horn. Then he gave orders to the people, march around the town, and the armed men will lead the way in front of the ark of the Lord. After Joshua spoke to the people, the seven priests with the ram's horns started marching in the presence of the Lord, blowing the horns as they marched. And the ark of the Lord's covenant followed behind them. Some of the armed men marched in front of the priests with the horns and some behind the ark with the priests continually blowing the horns. Do not shout. Do not even talk, Joshua commanded. Not a single word from any of you until I tell you to shout, then shout. So the ark of the Lord was carried around the town once that day, and then everyone returned to spend the night in the camp. Joshua got up early the next morning, and the priests again carried the ark of the Lord. The seven priests with the ram's horns marched in front of the ark of the Lord, blowing their horns. Again, the armed men marched both in front of the priest with the horns and behind the ark of the Lord. All this time, the priests were blowing their horns. On the second day, they again marched around the town once and returned to the camp, and they followed this pattern for six days. On the seventh day, the Israelites got up at dawn and marched around the town as they had done before, but this time they went around the town seven times. We're going to skip down to verse 20. When the people heard the sound of the ram's horns, they shouted as loud as they could, and suddenly the walls of Jericho collapsed, and the Israelites charged straight into the town and captured it. Father God, I pray that you use me this morning. Holy Spirit, speak through me. Speak to the hearts of everyone that hears this message this morning. I thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So to many who would have stood back from a distance 
and looked at these walls that surrounded Jericho, it would have seemed like an impossible task to take this city. Not to mention not really knowing what or who were on the other side of those walls. How large was their army? How many people did they have inside of those walls? What kind of weapons did they have? What type of fighting experience did they have? But Joshua and the Israelites, they had a different view. They saw things differently, and the difference was is that they had a promise. God had given them a promise that where their foot would land would belong to them, that this land was theirs, that he would go with them, that he would be with them. He would be with them everywhere that they went. You know, in this series, we've been talking about the importance of controlling our thoughts, especially against anxiety and depression. And the truth is is that Jesus has given us freedom. Jesus has, has already provided freedom from fear and freedom from anxiety and freedom from depression. But not all of those promises that God has given us are handed over to us completely. Some are going to require action on our part. The Israelites, they had to show up. The Israelites, they had to march around the city. They had to carry the ark. They had to blow the horns. They had to shout. And then once the walls came down, they had to go in and they had to take that city. God could have instantly collapsed those walls. God could have instantly taken out every person on the other side of those walls, but he didn't. He chose to have them put their faith in action. He chose to have them prove his trust in in him, their trust in him. He required them to do something. In 2016, I had just stepped down from a full-time position to be home with my family And life was great. I was enjoying it. I was enjoying the freedom of being home with my kids full time. And about a month after I stepped down, I'm at the grocery store at Martin's in Winchester, Virginia. And I'll never forget, I started to feel a little bit dizzy, a little bit lightheaded. My hands started to sweat. They become kind of clammy. And then suddenly my heart rate just went through the roof. The only way I can describe it is if I had just run like a marathon and had never trained one day for it. My heart was pounding faster and harder than it ever had in my entire life, and I was freaking out. I was scared. I'm trying to take slow, deep breaths, trying to calm myself down, and it just, it just got worse, and it got worse, and my heart's beating faster, and it's beating harder, and I'm thinking, I'm going to have a heart attack right here in Martin's. I'm, I'm going to die. This is it. There's not really anybody around other than the poor guy behind the meat counter. And I walk over to him and I said, you've got to call an ambulance. You've got to get me help. I think I'm having a heart attack. And so he calls an ambulance. By the time they get there, because I wasn't breathing properly, lack of oxygen to my brain, my hands had kind of like closed up and had kind of curled up on me. And I was shaking like uncontrollably. They took me to the ER where they ran tests, and this was the first of many emergency room visits, the first of many doctor's visits, the first of many tests, cardiologist, specialist that I went through over the next few months. It seemed to get worse and worse over time. 
On top of that, two months after this began, in the middle of all that I was already dealing with, I had to have a major surgery that took me out for about five to six months. I felt like the enemy was not only attacking my mind, but he was attacking my body. I wasn't sleeping. I would lay in my bed at night, and I would have what I now know are called adrenaline rushes. So I, it would start in the core, and it would run through my arms and run down my legs like these rushes of energy that would leave me shaking and trembling uncontrollably for about 20 or 30 minutes at a time. And this would happen every night. As soon as I laid down, it would wake me up all throughout the night. And if that didn't wake me up, the panic attacks would wake me up. I would wake up in the middle of the night, and my heart would just be pumping hard. On top of that, I had lost 25 pounds because I couldn't eat. Anytime that I would eat, I would have racing heartbeats. I would have palpitations. I would feel like my heart was just like, like flopping around in my chest. And so I had, had lost a lot of weight and I was having to force myself to eat at that point because I was no longer hungry. I would go into my room to separate myself from my family because I didn't want them to see what I was dealing with. I didn't want them to see me having anxiety attacks. I didn't want them to see me crying. I felt like I was hopeless. I felt like I was helpless. I felt like I was, I was losing my mind is what I felt like. And the only thing that the doctors would tell me is, yep, there's something going on with your heart. It's not going to kill you. We're going to give you these medicines. We're going to control your anxiety. We're going to control your heart rate. I wanted answers. I knew that something was wrong. Something was not right. I'd never had an anxiety attack in my life. I'd never had any of these issues. Why was this happening to me? And then one day, I'll never forget, I was kneeling in my room, and I was praying And God showed me this picture of a woman who was kneeling, and she had her hands over her face, and she was weeping. And I knew that that woman was me. And standing behind me was a transparent figure of myself, and I knew that that was my spirit man. And then I look over, and I see this this arm reach out. And I didn't see a body and I didn't see a face, but I could tell that this this arm, it was a man and he was wearing a robe and I knew it was Jesus. And he, in his hand, was, was holding on to a sword and he was reaching it out to me as if he wanted me to take hold of it. And my spirit man reached out and took hold of that sword and as I took hold of that sword, I heard him say, rise up, rise up. And something inside of me shifted at that moment. And I knew that, it, that, that I had been retreating. I hadn't been fighting. I had my husband praying for me, and I had my pastors praying for me, and I had my friends praying for me. But the more difficult my situation had got, the more I had retreated. And the more I had allowed fear to grip me. And the more I had allowed fear to steal the promise that I knew that God had given me. But it was time for me to fight. It was time for me to pick myself up. It was time for me to dust myself off. It was time for me to grab a hold of the weapons that God had given me. And it was time for me to step on my battlefield and to fight. John 16, says, I have told you all of this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. We're going to face difficulties. We live in a fallen world. 
We're going to have problems, but Jesus has overcome the world. Ephesians 6, 12, 12, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 6, I love this passage. This passage is powerful. We are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. You know what false arguments are? We've been talking about false arguments over the last few weeks. Those thoughts that come into our, into our mind that contradicts what the Word of God says about who we are, about who He is, about our circumstance. That is a false argument. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God, and we capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. These scriptures tell us that we're going to face battles, but they're not just any battles. They're spiritual battles. Spiritual battles require the use of spiritual weapons. If you are dealing with anxiety, your battle is not against anxiety. If you're dealing against fear or depression, your battle is not against fear and depression. Your battle is against the enemy that's bringing those onto you. And it's time that you pick up your spiritual weapons and you fight. I was angry at this point. I was angry. As my mama used to say when she'd get frustrated at me, she'd say, Faith, I am up to here. Right? I'm not sure exactly what she was up to here with, but I can tell you it wasn't pleasant it never got any higher, thank goodness, because I don't know what she'd have done if she'd have been up to here. But I was up to here with what the enemy had put on me. I was tired of, see, of suffering. I was tired of seeing my family suffer. And it was time that I'd do something about it. So you might be here this morning and you say, well, I, I don't deal with depression or anxiety. I never have. I don't want you to tune me out this morning because we're getting ready to talk about what our spiritual weapons are. And these spiritual weapons have been given to us to fight in any battle that the enemy ever brings against us. So the first couple weapons that I'm going to talk about this morning are prayer and fasting. So up until this point, my prayers had consisted of a lot of whining a lot of pleading with God to rescue me out of all that I was dealing with. But I was reminded of this verse in Philippians 4, 6. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him. Here's the key words for all that he has done. Thank him for all that he has done. My prayers began to shift from pleas of God rescue me to Prayers of thanksgiving. God, thank you that you are my rescuer. Thank you that you are with me. Thank you that I'm not facing this situation alone. Thank you for who you are. Thank you that you are my deliverer. Thank you that you are my strong tower. Our prayers need to shift from helplessness to thanksgiving of who God is and what he has already done for us. And then I took out the big guns. And I paired my prayers with fasting. I know nobody likes to hear the word fasting. My husband said it's the, if uh, Christianese had a dirty four-letter word, it would be the word fast, right? I thought that was pretty funny. 
Nobody likes to fast. Nobody likes to go hungry. Nobody likes for their stomach to rumble. So when our kids were little, we would um, encourage them not to say the word fart because we thought that the word fart coming from a two-year-old, a three-year-old, four-year-old just didn't sound very nice. And so we would say, say toot, poot, pass gas, something like that, but don't say fart. So one Sunday after church, the Sunday school teacher comes up to Chris and I, and she's like, hey, I want to talk to you about something that Kyle said in in Sunday school today. He said, "Um, at my house, my siblings and I, we're not allowed to to use the F word. (laughs) But my daddy says it all the time. (laughs) So I had to explain to her that in our house, the F word was the word fart. Kids are great. But here's the thing. Many times we can be tempted to fast in order to get what we want from God, as if we're going to force his hand to do something for us. But here's what I want you to know. We don't fast to move God. We fast to move us. If you guys remember the story back in Matthew 17 in the King James Version, there's a man that brings a young boy to Jesus. And he says, He has a demon, and your disciples were unable to cast him out. Jesus casts out the demon, and his disciples are like, what happened? Why why couldn't we do this? And they ask this question because they've already cast some demons out, because they've already healed people in Jesus' name. They've already been given that authority. But what was different this time? And Jesus' response was, you have little faith. All you have to have is faith the size of a mustard seed, and you can say to this mountain to move. And then here's what he says after that. This kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. He's saying that when you partner fasting with your prayers, it's going to build up your faith. It's going to build up your spirit man to a place that when you speak to your enemy, when you speak to that mountain, it has to move. It's going to listen It changes us. It positions us. Pastor Jensen Franklin says, fasting isn't about making demands and getting what you want. It's about getting to a place where you're ready for what God wants. I knew that when I was fasting, that I was putting myself in a place to receive what God had for me. I had decided that I was going to fast during lunch because I I had already lost a lot of weight. I didn't really want to go long periods of time without eating. But I said, you know what? Here's what I can do. I'm going to do a juice fast. I'm only going to have juice every day for lunch. And so that's what I would do. I would go into my room, and I would take that time during lunch, and I would would just pray and seek God and fast. I knew that I was putting myself in a place where God could remove what needed to be removed from here and here and could replace it for what he needed to add, what did need to be there in order for me to receive what he had for me. You see, Jesus has already done his part. He's already done his part. He's already provided the freedom. But fasting positions us in a place to receive the gift that already has our name on it. It already has our name on it. The second weapons I'm going to talk about this morning are praise and worship. Psalm 22.3 says, yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. This may seem easy to some people, but I can tell you when I was in the midst of an anxiety attack, 
when I was in the midst of, of fearing for my very life, the last thing I felt like doing was praising. The last thing I felt like doing was worshiping. But I had come to a place where I was desperate for change, and I knew that there was power in our praise. Because this scripture here tells us that God's enthroned on our praises. He dwells, his, his life-changing presence dwells in the praises of his people. Praise and worship will reroute your focus. It will take your focus off of yourself and off of the problems that you're dealing with, and it will reroute your focus onto your God who is greater than those problems. We've talked about this before. We shared this in, um, at our Berkeley Springs campus. But if I were to stand up here this morning and I were to put my thumb out and stand a certain way, close one eye, I could cover up anybody in this room with my thumb. Well, we all know that my thumb is obviously not bigger than anybody in this room. But if I'm focusing on it a certain way, it can seem larger. It's the same thing with our problems. If we take our focus off of our God and we focus only on our problems and the issues that we're dealing with, it can make us forget how big our God is. We need to make sure that our focus is on God and his abilities and what he's done. And we do that by refocusing through praise and worship. Some of you may say, well, I can't sing or I don't know worship songs. Worship is not a song. Worship is a posture. It's about the posture of your heart. It's where our minds and our hearts become fixed on the greatness of our God of how big he is, of how much greater he is than the difficulty that we are dealing with. John 4, 23 through 24 says, But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way, for God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. This band that was up here this morning, they could stand up here and they could play these instruments and not utter a word, and it's considered worship because their hearts and their minds are fixed on their God. It's about a posture. There were times in my own struggle that I had no words. I didn't have anything else left to request. I had said everything that I felt like I could say and had nothing left. And I would just worship and love on God. God, you are good. Holy are you, Lord. God, you are everything to me. You are everything. I love you. You are worthy to be praised. You are greater than my circumstances. Just loving on him. Sometimes when I would feel the enemy's attacks the worst, I, I, would, I would sing. And one of the songs that I would always go to was, My God is greater, my God is stronger. God, you are higher than any other. My God is healer, and he's awesome in power. My God, my God. And the more I would sing that, the more the faith and the boldness would, would rise up inside of me. And it was like I could just imagine my enemy standing face to face with me. And I would be singing about, you bring this against me, but my God is greater. My God is stronger. I know who my God is. And so when I would worship and I would praise him in the midst of an attack, 
It would not only remind me of how great my God is, but it would remind my enemy how great my God is. You see, the walls of Jericho fell after the shouts of worship began. The shackles fell off of Paul and Silas after they began to praise and worship God. In 2 Chronicles 20, God causes the armies that rose up against Judah to turn on one another after Jehoshaphat commanded the people to sing praises to God. God's wall crumbling, chain-breaking, army-destroying presence resides on the praises of his people. The next weapon I want to talk about this morning is God's word, Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. It exposes our innermost thoughts. The word of God passes judgment on our feelings and thoughts. If it does not belong here, the word of God is going to point it out. If I'm having thoughts that I am alone in my situation, the word of God says that I'm not alone, that he never leaves me, that he never forsakes me, that he is always with me. 1 Peter 2, 2. Like newborn babies, you must crave spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. The pure spiritual milk in this passage is the word of God. If I'm wanting to grow in my faith and my boldness to fight the attacks of the enemy on my life, then I have to feed off of his word. I have to be devouring his word. I have to know what it says about my situation. I have to know what the word says about who God is. I have to know what the word says about who I am through Jesus Christ. I have to know what he has already accomplished for me. And I'm not going to know that if I am not meditating on his word. In Joshua 1, after Moses had died, God told Joshua, wherever you set your foot will be the land that I have given to you. No one will be able to stand against you. I am with you. But this is what he says in verse 8. This is what he tells Joshua. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so that you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all that you do. Meditate means to engage in focused thought on scriptural passages. I can tell you that I knew how to meditate, and here's how I, how I knew that I knew how to meditate, because there's been many sleepless nights for me that I have lied awake worrying about situations, that I have allowed my mind to be plagued with the lies of the enemy. I had been meditating on the wrong things. I had to learn to meditate on what God said about my situation. I ran across this article online about our conscious and our unconscious thoughts, and I wanted to share this with you guys. So our conscious thoughts are ones that we are aware of and can be explained and discussed in a rational way. Our unconscious thoughts are hidden from our awareness. They're considered our automatic thoughts because they pass through our minds kind of like a reflex to an event. So, for example, if I'm trying to eat healthy 
and somebody offers me a piece of cake, and I'm like, no way. And then they offer me a piece of fried chicken. I'm like, nope, it's fried. And then they offer me a donut, not having it. And then they offer me a piece of cheesecake, and I'm like, yes, please. (laughs) And before I know it, it is gone. The plate is licked clean because I have a weakness for cheesecake. And my unconscious had this reflex to devour the event that I was given of being offered a piece of cheesecake. The problem arises when the unconscious is filled with negativity. The unconscious mind will respond with these negative thoughts and emotions automatically. Unconscious thoughts are believed to begin developing during childhood and are developed by, get this, repeated experiences and often become automatic responses. Repeated experiences become automatic responses. So get this, we can retrain our unconscious thoughts. This is how I feel, this is what I see, but this is the truth of what God says about my situation. With repetition over and over and over again, this is what God's word says. I'm taking this thought captive, I'm replacing it with what God's word says. And I do that over and over and over again. And we begin to retrain how our minds think and ultimately how we respond to anxiety and to depression. It's kind of like taking pictures on your phone. We have three grandbabies, and my phone is filled with pictures of those grandbabies. But the oldest is three, the youngest is one, they move constantly, right? So getting a good photo of one of these grandbabies is almost impossible. So I could take 50 and maybe come out with three, right? But I'm not going to keep all the ones that are blurry, all the ones that have the movement, all the ones that didn't turn out right because they're going to take up space. They're going to take up valuable space. Our minds can only hold on to so much. I can only have so much going on in here at one time. I have to make sure that what I'm allowing to take up space is the truth of what God says, not a lie that the enemy has put there. You see, we can't control the thoughts that pop into our minds, but we can't control what happens once it gets there. You and I cannot allow anything to stay in our minds that contradicts what the Word of God says about our situation. The verse that I stood on when I was under attack was Psalm 103, 1 through 5. And I wrote this down because honestly, when I was in the midst of an anxiety attack, when I was in the midst of depression, when I was in the midst of difficult situations, I couldn't think. I couldn't think about the passage that I said I was going to quote. I couldn't think about the song I said I was going to sing when this happened. So I had to write it down and I had to post it. And here's the one that spoke to my heart. Let all that I am praise the Lord. With my whole heart, I will praise his holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things that he does for me. He forgives my sins. He heals my diseases. He redeems me from death. He crowns me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. My youth is renewed like the eagle's. He redeems me from death. And I would quote the scripture, and I would say it over and over and over again.
enemy, you bring what you want against me. If I have to face this for the rest of my life here on earth, I know that my God has redeemed me from death. If he doesn't ever do anything else for me, he's done the greatest thing that he could do, and that's redeem me from death. And I would remind myself of all that God has done, along with reminding the enemy that I knew all that God has done. But you see, we can't use God's word if we don't know God's word. A soldier's not going to walk into battle with a weapon that they're not familiar with. They're not going to step on onto the battlefield with a weapon that they've never used before. They're going to know that weapon. They're going to know how to use it. And they're going to know more than one weapon. They're going to have a whole arsenal of weapons ready because they never know who or what they're going to encounter unless they're Chuck Norris. Then all they need is their pinky finger, right? We have to know what God's word says. I have to know when the enemy comes against me that I am more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus. I have to know that God's word says that no weapon formed against me is going to prosper. We have to meditate on God's word and get it engraved in our innermost being, ready for when the enemy attacks, because he's going to, it's going to happen, and we have to be ready. Prayer, fasting, praise, worship, quoting the word of God, it's not going to be easy. It's going to be kind of like going to the gym. You know, when you first start, you know, you get your gym membership and you first start going to the gym and you're excited and you're ready to get in there and there's days that you're up and you're tying your shoelaces. You're like, oh, yeah, let's do this, right? But then there's days that you're like, oh, not again, not again. I'm still sore from last time. You don't want to do it. You're dragging your feet. But it's the days that you show up at the gym that you really don't want to be there that make the most difference. It's the same thing in our spiritual walk. There's going to be days that are difficult, but it's the days that we show up, that we pray, that we worship, that we fast, that are going to make the biggest difference. I had made the decision at that time that I was going to make the enemy sorry that he had ever attacked me in the first place. And I feel like I'm still doing that because Revelation 5.11 says they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Later on, I found out that the reason that I had, had started having these attacks was because I had an autoimmune illness that affected my autonomic nervous system, which is where your fight or flight is at. And so I wasn't able to control that. And then it also affected my heart rate, my blood pressure. So my blood pressure would fall suddenly. And then as my blood pressure would fall, my heart rate would go up to try to compensate and get my my blood pressure back where it needed to be, which then would send me into the anxiety attack, which I didn't feel like I could control because of, you see where I'm going with that. It was like a vicious cycle. But the problem was that even after I was diagnosed about a year later, and knew what was going on, knew that what I was dealing with was not life-threatening, I was still having these anxiety attacks and, and this depression worse than ever before because it had become a vicious cycle. I was now super, my mind and body were super sensitive to this, and so anything and everything would throw me into this. But I'm here to tell you this morning that I am healed. God healed my mind, and he healed my body completely. And I want to remind you that you're going to get through this. 
If this is something you're dealing with, trust in God. He has provided your freedom. Pick up your weapons and fight. On Bunker Hill in June 1775, Colonel William Prescott orders his men to reserve fire and aim low because powder was scarce. Here's what he said. Men, you were all marksmen. Don't one of you fire until you see the white of their eyes. They were ordered to wait because when you can see the white of your enemy's eyes, it's going to make a difference. The times when your anxiety and depression are the worst is when your enemy is the closest. When he's staring you in your face, when he is breathing down your neck and you can smell his funky breath. When you feel hopeless and helpless and you feel like you're never going to get out of this, this is where your counterattack will create the most damage and the most victory for you. Do not give up. When you feel him the closest, you worship God the most. When you feel your enemy attacking the worst, you praise God the most. You fast the longest. Do not give up. I can imagine the people that were inside of the walls of Jericho standing and watching there in fear. And we know that they were afraid because this passage told us that nobody was going out, nobody was coming in. It was locked up tight. And I can imagine they're standing there and they're watching. Somebody's watching. Somebody's seeing what's going on on the outside. And they're watching. And, and here, comes this, here comes the army. There's Joshua, there's the Israelites. What are they doing? Oh, they're marching. What are, what are they doing? They're marching around this city. They're blowing, blowing horns. I don't know what they're doing. They, oh, wait, they're leaving. Okay, I, I, I don't know what they're doing. Day after day, day five, day six. By this time, maybe they've let their guard down a little bit in their minds. I don't know. Maybe they weren't quite as afraid anymore because they, all they had seen them do was show up and walk around the walls and blow some horns and leave. But then something shifts on day seven, and they show up, and here's this army behind the walls, and they're watching. They're marching again. Yep, I think they're just a little crazy. All they do is march and blow horns. Guess they're going to leave now. They just, just marched around one time. Oh, wait, something's different. Something's different. They're going around again. Wait, they're going around a third time. They're going on a fourth time. And I can imagine inside they're starting to get fearful. Like, wait a minute, something's different. What's going on? I bet there was a shift in the spiritual atmosphere by this point because something's getting ready to happen. Now what? I can imagine. Talk about anxiety. I can imagine the thoughts that they were having, maybe the fear and the chaos that's going on inside of Jericho as they saw this army march around and around and around. And they stood there helpless, waiting to see what was going to happen next. Imagine what your enemy is thinking and feeling when he's attacking you with all that he has. And you go back and you pray again and you fast again. Wait, I thought you were attacking her. I was attacking her, but every time I attack her, she goes and prays. Every time I attack him, he begins to worship God. Every time I attack him, he begins to fast. Day after day, week after week. I wish that I could tell you that as soon as I began picking up my spiritual weapons, that it just all disappeared. But it didn't. 
I had to repeat over and over and over again. On the outside of the walls, the Israelites marched day after day. They were consistent. They were obedient. They were trusting God. They had seen nothing, not a crack in the mortar, not a drop of a pebble. For six days, they did this over and over and over again. But God was up to something. They did not give up. They held on to God's promise. I'm going to invite the band to come up here with me. How many 80s babies? Do I have anybody here born in the 80s? A few of you. We were tough kids. You know what I mean? We played games like Red Rover in P.E., so you guys, for those of you who don't know the game Red Rover, so our PE teacher would split us into two teams. And so one of the teams would be out in the field. They were the runners. And then the other team would be standing side by side, holding on to hands tightly. And the team holding hands would say, Red Rover, Red Rover, send Johnny over. And Johnny's like, oh, this is my chance. All eyes are on Johnny. Johnny starts running, and he's going as fast. He's giving it all that he can because his, his job is to bust through this line of people holding hands. So he's running with all he's got, poor Johnny, because there's always those mean kids. You know who I'm talking about. You guys probably see those mean kids pop, and you know who I'm talking about. So these, these boys, they're holding hands. It's always the boys. You ever notice that? So they're holding hands, and they give each other this look, right? And so what do they do? About the time Johnny gets ready to bust through their arms, they lift their arms up just a little bit, and they clothesline poor Johnny right in his neck, on his back, breath knocked out of him. Johnny gets up, because we were tough in the 80s. He gets up and he brushes the dirt off his pants, and he runs back out there, back to his team, ready for the next one. He's like, that was fun, let's do that again, right? Some of you listening today, you feel like you've been clotheslined by the enemy. You feel like you're laying on your back with the wind knocked out of you. You may have have stepped onto the battlefield and you may have been knocked down over and over again and you may be in retreat mode. But I'm here to tell you, do not give up. Do not give up. Get back up, dust yourself off. Do not stop praying. Do not stop fasting. Do not stop praising. Do not stop worshiping. Do not stop reading God's word. Do not stop speaking God's word over your situation. Don't give up. And from the famous words of the band journey, don't stop believing. Because your God has provided you freedom and he is for you, and he is with you, and he is walking beside you every step of the way. He will never leave you, and he will never forsake you. And just like me, you're gonna walk out of this by the power of Jesus' name, and you're gonna have a testimony, and that testimony is gonna break chains. It's gonna gonna help people who are dealing with the same thing that you're struggling with. Don't get mad at anxiety. Don't get mad at depression. Don't be like me and get mad at your doctor who didn't have an answer. You get mad at the enemy, the one that's bringing it against you, the one who's already been defeated by the power of Jesus' name. Would you stand up with me? I want to pray over you guys this morning. Father God, you are good.
God, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you that, Jesus, your name means power. We thank you that your word has given us the tools to fight. Your word has said that in this world we will have troubles, but you have overcome this world. You have won. You have given us this promise. Lord God, I pray that faith and boldness would rise up in each one of us this morning, Lord God, to fight. To step out on that battlefield. To pick up the weapons that you have given us. And to fight the enemy the way that you have designed us to do it. And I thank you, God, that they are going to walk out of this in victory, Lord Jesus, with a powerful testimony. And they're going to make the enemy wish he had never bothered them in the first place. In Jesus' name. Love you guys. We thank you for your time today. We hope you have grown closer to Jesus Christ through this message. If you found it helpful, share the message. Share it with your friends and your family. And with your help, we can take the gospel far and wide.